This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. How's your sock drawer looking? It's messy. There's a lot of single socks. Yep. I think it's time for a little spring cleaning. Oh. <laughs> Check out Bombas. Once you try a pair, you'll never look at socks the same way again. I should know. I like my Bombas. Their spring collection has new garden party socks that bring the party to your feet. My feet have never been to a party. <laughs> They've so got sad. stripes and florals and new vintagey colored rib socks. You know, when I'm wearing Bombas, I feel like my feet are being caressed okay. and cared for in a way they never have been in my life. Hmm. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash Conan and use code Conan for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash Conan and use code Conan at checkout. <laughs> Hi, my name is Steven Wright, and I feel anxious about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hey there, welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. I am the aforementioned Conan O'Brien, yeah. famed in song and story, and I'm joined, as always, by Sonam of Sessian. Hi. You could work on that. And uh, Matt Gorley. Like what songs are you famous for being in? Just songs about me. Oh, here he comes. He's the great Conan. Look I at him go. He's the funniest guy in the whole wide world. You know, songs that are just sung in general in the popular American catalog. You know... It's funny Here comes that, Conan, funniest guy. My, he's as funny as a pizza taco pie. I was just going to say, my kids are obsessed with, there's this soccer player named Lucas Podolsky. Do you know who he is, Eduardo? He played a while ago. German, right? He, mm -hmm. yes. yes. And there's this German song where they sing it for him. Like, Lou, 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 Lucas Podolsky. My boys are obsessed <laughs> well, with wait, that Wait, how song. are they hearing it? Yeah. What station are they listening to? They're not. Where, it's not on a station. Well, how do they know the it's song? It's like a fan-made song. Tack played it for them, and now they're obsessed with it. They just come up, and they're like, Lulu, Lu, and so we have to play it for them all day. It's funny. I've been playing my daughter the original Swedish Pippi Longstocking theme, and she's obsessed with that. <laughs> are you seriously I'm serious, playing yeah, it for yeah, her? Yeah. Uh, I, when I was a kid, we found, uh, we used to go uh, stay at my grandfather's house, uh, down in uh, Misquamacut, Rhode Island. And we went up in the attic once. It had one of those like, you know, ladders that you yeah, pull down. Yeah. And it was this attic that, you know, stuff had been up there since the 30s and 40s. It was very musty. And mm -hmm. we found these old comedy records. And so we would listen to these old records. I remember one of them was, yay, boo, yay, boo. It's lots of fun to do. If you like it, holler yay. And if you don't, you holler boo. <laughs> And <laughs> that's a comedy that's a record. Comedy record. Well, yeah, exactly. And it was just these kooky <laughs> records that we would listen to. And this is, you know, like long before internet or anything like that. So what else are you going to do on a rainy day yeah. at the state beach in Misquamacut, Rhode Island, except listen to Yay Boo, Yay Boo. It's lots of fun to do if you like a holiday and if you don't, you holla boo. So fast forward to years and years later, I'm hosting the late night show and this is on the air I'm doing the show and whatever. It's we're a couple of years in. Everything's rolling along. We're just cranking out a show every night, and so you just start to get so loose. And at one point, 
I'm talking to the crowd and I made some joke that had like a maybe wordplay or something in it. And the crowd playfully was like, boo, boo. And I went, yay, boo, yay, boo. It's lots of fun to do. If you like it, holler yay. And if you don't, you holler boo. The whole crowd was like, what the fuck was that? My producer, Jeff Ross, Mike Sweeney, everyone staring at me. And it just burbled out. <laughs> and um, then I remembered this thing that I heard uh, Johnny Carson said, uh, he didn't say it to me, but he said it uh, to somebody years ago. He said, when you do a show every night for an hour, everything in you eventually comes oh, out wow. if you do it long enough. Yeah. And I, it's right. This record that I listened to in the rain on a rainy day, you know, in 1971, that's completely yeah. nonsensical. Out of nowhere, the crowd boo. Well, yay, boo, yay, boo. You know, and it's just crazy. We're gonna go really back and talk about your birth. <laughs> I, know. I know. Do you think that's scraping the bottom of the barrel, or that's only like halfway down? And there's oh, still oh man, there's so much. There's also records we listen to that now are completely just horrible in retrospect and politically incorrect. There's one called "Slapper Down Again, Paw," okay. which was Ooh. no, it horrible. I mean, we didn't know anything. We didn't even know what this, what it was all about, but it was a comedy record about- uh, I, f I think we could figure it you out. You get the idea. Yeah. And it 1947. was- 1947. 1947. And you know, it was just, there are all these records in the attic and we would listen to one and you think just me even mentioning it might be triggering to people. I it's know. just, it's- well, but it, The Prodigy came out with an album in 1998, 97, and one of the songs was Smack My Bitch Up. And we, I went to Coachella one year, and we were singing it and dancing it, and, and dancing but you just to weren't thinking about it. We weren't thinking about the lyric, but that's what they say throughout the whole song, and it's a it's a great song, but that lyric is very problematic. Right, right. I'll stick with Yay Boo. I'll stick with Har come a Pippi Longstrump. Wait, how does it go? How come a Pippi Longstrump? Shula hop, shula hey, shula hop, song song. Ha, ha. What does it mean though? Here comes Pippi Longstocking with a hope and a hay and a hope shana. Oh, so it, it does devolve into babble. Basically, yeah. Okay, yeah. I suspected that. Yeah. I knew that that part. And and the song is just, in your song it's goes- It's in German. Yeah, I don't it. know any of it. But your children know it. We, we listen to it constantly, but like, I'm just like, I'm not gonna learn this song. I don't know it. I just know Lulu Lulu Lucas Podolsky. It sounds like such a Euro song. Did you see, did you can find, you find it? it? Yeah, Let's hear it. it. It's on YouTube. It's just the Lulu P Lucas Podolsky song. And your two, one and a half year old. Yeah. Well, soon to be two year old twins. Yeah. Mm, that's right. Listen to this. They're this obsessed is, with this. This is- uh, how they're learning about life. This is what, <laughs> this is what you're passing on to. Yeah, and I don't know if, yes. Oh my God. Oh my I'm God. Triggering. What? And then it stops. Euro club. What? And it goes, holy, hallelujah. Oh, it's glory, glory, hallelujah. No, yeah. it's. I think it's Lodi Poldi. No, it's to the tune. It's yeah, to yeah, the I tune know, of Glory Glory. Goldie Poldi. Goldie oh. Poldi, hallelujah. Yeah. Oh. Hey, uh, Eduardo. And then it gets very Euro. Bring up uh, Inger Nielsen's version of Hark Come a Pippi Longstrom. You got, you, it, that was the meat of it. You didn't even get to the Lululu part, oh. nah, Matthew. Trust me, we heard enough. Wait, okay. guess what? When I hear a lot of Germans chanting, I get nervous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, check this out. This is from uh, the original Pippi Longstocking series, sung by Pippi herself, Inger Nielsen. Oh, this here we go. This isn't it. I'm sorry. It's the one that has a samba beat. Starts with some bongos. <laughs> <laughs> Inger Nielsen is the key there. I think I'm calling child services on <laughs> yeah, both of you. I know my kids listen this to is... so many different languages. That's it's, not it. That's not it either. I mean, he knows his Pippi Longstocking. I right do. Away. I love that you're like, no, that's not it. Yeah. That's not it. No, that's the studio mix. Yeah. No, this is the tune, but this is a remake. Uh, Thank you, here. Eduardo. What's going on? You were hired to be able to call up Pippi Longstocking songs. Here, I got it. Why is it a samba? It should be. Okay, now it's my turn. Find Yay Boo, Yay Boo. <laughs> Who was the artist? Uh, let me see. Uh, Little Nas. Well, because there's a few versions. Uh, Whoa. Let's let's go back. What's what do you think? Arthur Godfrey. Arthur Godfrey. Arthur Godfrey. Yeah, that's, he's that's the one that also I think did uh, the other. Um, yay Boo, Yay 
table, it's lots of fun to do. If you like it, holler yay. If you don't, you holler boo. Yep. I hear the public school burned down. Yay! What? Uh, but they saved old teacher Brown. Oh my God! Hold it. Next They're year. upset that the. <laughs> They're upset that the teacher didn't burn to death. Where does this go? What? Why that. does he sound like that? Oh, I don't know. It was a different oh, time. Yes, he didn't be Scooby. He's down. doing a funny voice for oh. a funny record. <laughs> this is back when, if you wanted to be funny, you needed to use a funny voice. How come SiriusXM isn't calling us for DJ sets? I have no idea. It'd be great. I should have a channel on SiriusXM that's all music you can't play anymore. From the attic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> music from my grandfather's attic. <laughs> people get slapped around. Uh, yeah, that was, uh... What happened to those records? I don't know. Boo. <laughs> Save the environment. Boo. Boo. <laughs> uh, Have a cupcake. Yay! Yeah. The wealthy get wealthier. Yay! Ruin the environment. Yay! Um, yeah, they had different priorities back then. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, listen, I think we've plumbed the depths of our childhoods, and, uh... I can't believe you're letting your kids hear those songs. Come on. Those are terrible songs. Mine's solid. Yeah. Mine's not that great. Mine's yeah, yours solid. is awful. Yeah. Bunch of angry Germans. Here we go. It is a lot of angry Germans. You'll all be They're whistling, Pippi. We must on move on. on to a man who's wiser than all of us, and he will show us the way. My guest today, very talented stand-up comedian and writer. To say that is ridiculous. He's not a very talented. He's uh, brilliant. He's a genius, and he's been performing for over 40 years. He changed the game. He now has a fantastic new novel entitled Harold. Available on May 16th. I'm not just excited, I'm thrilled uh, he's here today. It's an honor. Stephen Wright, welcome. You have one of the most iconic voices in comedy. And I'm not even talking about your perspective, which is iconic. But just when you talking is such a delight to me. Oh. Every time I've had the chance to interview you, I think my heart beats maybe 200 beats a minute, and I think yours beats during leap years. <laughs> <laughs> Once. And I've always loved the contrast. When I get to talk to Stephen Wright, uh, I'm, you know, a Tasmanian devil, and you are um, a moon rock that's seen it all. It's really beautiful. A moon rock that's seen it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have. I'm lucky I sound like this because obviously I'm not doing this. This is how I sound, and it's contributed to my whole career by complete accident. Yeah. I mean, this is just accident. But I'm not, even though I sound like this and I appear to be so laid back, I'm not as laid back as you might think I am. I'm not like you. I'm not like... Like, yeah, yeah. On, like, like, you know, like, like on, you know, I'm, but, but my mind is I'm going. Glad you didn't finish that. Because <laughs> um, that all wasn't, the, that all wasn't the ends be... of that sentence is I said, no, no, no. no. On, so, one of, <laughs> so. on one of my first jobs, a writer named Steve Barker, who was from the deep South, he looked at me one day and he used to drink like whiskey out of his desk. And he just took a long sip of whiskey and he went, one day, O'Brien, you're going to blow and you're going to leave a nasty stain. <laughs> he, and I was like 22, but bouncing off the walls. But anyway, you said you're not as laid back as one might think you are. What my are you mind about? is going faster than, than my being mm -hmm. to the outside world. Like I can, I exercise every day. I'm an exercise bike or a real bike. I can get off the bike, get a phone call and hello. Oh, did you just wake up? Right, you know, just and you were just working 40 out. minutes on the bike. <laughs> right. I can tell you, are, if we, me and you were made out of bamboo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think about this all the time. Okay, let's continue that. If you and I were made of bamboo. Bamboo poles, mm -hmm. like 20, each person had was 20 to make a person. Yep. And they, they have to wrap them around to hold them together. Yeah. Yours are wrapped tighter yes. than mine. So I, mine, mine are looser. Yours rattle a bit when you shake them. Yes. And mine yes, feels yes. like one solid. Yes. I'm basically, there's so, it's wrapped so tightly, I'm like a steel pole. They use your version to drill for oil. Yes. <laughs> I've always thought 
I've always seen you like Can that. I tell you, Stephen, if I've heard this, can I just say, if I've heard this once, I've heard it a thousand times. I have so many people in my life that said like, do you have a second when I'm in the street? If you and I were bamboo, you're wrapped so tightly they'd use you to drill for oil. And I go, I know, I know. And Stephen, I finished their sentence. I go, I know, and you drill for oil. All the time. Oh my God. I'm going to embarrass you really quickly and then we can move on because you're not going to like this. But uh, I am hard pressed to think of anybody who tickled my mind more when I was very young and just interested in, I mean, early 1980s, I'm 18, 19, and uh, you explode on the scene. It was such a revelation to me that somebody could be so funny and so smart in such an original way. It was very inspiring to me and to, I mean, tens of thousands of people, not just from my generation, but generations going on. And I don't know if you're aware, I know you're a very humble guy, but I don't know if you're aware how much you changed things. I hear about that I've influenced people. I've seen younger people uh, that I can tell influenced by me, but that's very nice of you to say that. Very nice. And I feel very lucky because I didn't, like, I'm. this is how I think. That's how I write. This is how I speak. And it just, it just fell together. You know, mm -hmm. there was no plan. Right. If I do it like this, like this, then I'll be this different guy. It was like, go to the open mic night and think, okay, I'm going to go back in two weeks. Watch the open mic. I'm going to go back in two weeks. I wrote stuff. I had never written anything, so I wrote it during the two weeks and I came back and then I was saying it like, I mean, a lot, half of it didn't work, but the distinctness is completely like by accident. It's like a fingerprint, like your brain has a finger, everyone's brain has a fingerprint. And I'm so lucky that the thoughts and the way I speak went together. And I'm also lucky that, that it clicked with the audience because I don't, wouldn't have another way to do it. Right. But thank you. Thank you very much well, for the I, compliment. Uh, well, I... Another thing is when you're doing it, you're not thinking of a young kid watching it. You're right. just trying to make the audience laugh. Yes. You're trying to do a good TV appearance. You're not right. thinking of, you know, 14-year-old people. You're not thinking No, of that. course not. I mean, if you are, there'd be something wrong with you if you're, <laughs> if every time you performed, you were thinking of a 14-year-old boy, Stephen, that would be a real problem. Are there any boys out there watching? Oh hey, God. take it easy, Stephen. Any little boys watching? Oh, I'm going to be arrested and yeah, I didn't, I didn't yeah. even say it. I didn't even say it. No, you kind of did say it. <laughs> <laughs> and that hat you're wearing is real skeevy. Um, just saying. Is it, is it, is it, the hat goes with the whole say, thing. Does it say, does it say that? You does know, it say that? <laughs> here, okay, here's the, here, here's the thing I want to zoom in on. What I want to zoom in on that's important to me is that, yes, your brain is different and you have this way of seeing things and you come along at this certain time. The hard part is when you get up and you're in the clubs... There is a very powerful, powerful, powerful force that makes people want to conform because there's a way to be that's a little safer if you're in front of an audience. You clearly, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, are brave because this is the way you were going to do it. And I'm sure there were audiences that didn't know <clears throat> what the hell is going on initially, but you kept going. Well, I didn't think of it to not do it. I didn't even think, well, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. It just came out like it, like it happened. It's just so, but I made up rules. I had these four rules that I wouldn't do. That was on purpose to not to stay like a little separated. What were the, I, can you tell us the rules? No. <laughs> do you want to tell you my rules? I have 10 of them. You have 10 of them. Yeah, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Um, and maybe you should think about my 10 rules. Yeah, your rules are much more yeah. known than mine. <laughs> I love if your rules are just about comedy, but you're a sociopath about everything else. It's hilarious. What the fuck are you doing? I, I, I was going to say, when you said thou shalt not kill, I don't have that. I don't. <laughs> you come in, your hands are all dirty. There's a, there's a shovel in the back of your car. 
Very strict rules about non-topical comedy. Very strict. Hey, what happened to that lady? Don't ask. Oh my god. Um, so you, oh. you know what? I, what was interesting is that you're doing this. Can I tell you my rules? Yeah, but keep it quick because I want to get back to me talking. Okay. This isn't about you. It's not about you. Oh my God. There's a clock. There's a clock running, Stephen. This isn't about you. No, it's not about you. Oh, I have to talk to Stephen, right? And find out what he thinks and his story. This is my chance to shine. I apologize for speaking. Uh, I wouldn't swear mm -hmm. for two reasons because I was. How I was raised was, you know, you wouldn't say that in front of people. Right. You wouldn't say it. The other thing is I noticed that if you swore, the joke would get a bigger laugh than it really would without it. Yeah. You know, like, oh, then the horse fell down. Oh, then the fucking horse fell down. That second one gets big. I didn't say this. I just learned. So mm -hmm. I wanted it to be real on the get the laugh on just the thought of it. And I didn't want to do topical things. I didn't yeah. want to talk about movie stars or something in the news or mm. something like that because I wanted I wanted the joke to not be attached to time. Yes. Yeah. So that I could do it for 20 years. That yeah. I get, yeah. You know, and uh, what was the other one? Uh, that's two of them. There's four of them. I think that was three. Was it? No, was it? No, I think it was, it was three. Was not it? Time. No. Two no, or Swearing. Not swearing. Not to attached Timeless. to time. Uh, don't list things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh uh, um, uh, politics, yeah, TV shows, you know, pop, pop culture. Yes. So, and I did that on, on purpose. Yeah. Not really so I could do the joke forever, which I did the joke forever, but because that was, I looked at things, did, well, he, Everyone is kind of saying this, so I'm not going to say that. Right. So a lot of it helped me what I didn't say. And in the beginning, there was a lot that were like more like regular comedy. Like 70% sure. of it was the weird abstract. But then as I continued, even in the first eight months, that drift, that fell away. Yeah. Then it was just remained was this. But it's this combination of like the, the writing was and is beautiful like it's beautiful writing and i'm thinking of your famous joke yeah i want you to do it but i went into a restaurant that said they serve breakfast anytime mm. so i ordered french toast during the renaissance <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's just i mean i have this always had this theory that a good joke actually has weight like the way an element does like it has um a really classic line, you can almost feel the weight of it in the palm of your hand. It's fascinating, the, the details of it all, you know, not connected to time. But that French toast joke, that was one of the only jokes I ever re, uh, ever adjusted. Because usually when I think of something, then I think of the wording, bang, 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 and then that's it. It's never changed. But that joke, it wasn't, first, it wasn't the Renaissance. It was something else. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. It was another reference to time. Right. But it wasn't the Renaissance. And right. then I thought, well, I'll change it to the Renaissance. And then you connect the Fran French, it connects more. Yes. So it's just like, it's fascinating, the details. I'm fascinated by how people do it. Do you sit with a, a, a legal pad, typewriter? What were you doing? I mean- and, and you, you know, you think I'm making a joke with typewriter. I actually do write stuff on a typewriter because I, I like, yeah, I have old, some old typewriters and I just love yeah, the mechanism yeah. of it. And I love the kind of, I think I think a little harder when I'm working on a typewriter because it's being put on paper and it feels a little oh, more oh, formal. It's more of a so physic, I, I, physical combination yeah. of thing rather than yeah. a computer. Yeah. There's a little, there's an F physical F effort. I would, in the first six months, I would get the newspaper out and look through it and see if something would click, like to write, find a joke. But then after like six or eight months, my mind became, because it's all based on what you notice, right? Yeah, all yeah. the comedy is noticing. Mm -hmm. So my mind just became noticing. I didn't no longer look at the paper. It was just like... You go out and you just notice. And uh, 
one of my favorite jokes I ever did was I was looking through the paper and it, I saw electrolysis, you know, an ad for electrolysis. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what a word. The sound of that word is interesting and what it means is interesting. So then my mind later came up with the, I lived in a building, they allowed pets and I had a pony. I had a Shetland pony named Nikki and he was involved in a bizarre electrolysis accident. All, all the hair was removed except for the tail. Now I rent him out to Hare Krishna family picnics. <laughs> <laughs> and that was because I saw that, because I saw the ad. Yeah. Valvoline Instant Oil Change is the quick, easy, trusted place for your next oil change. Valvoline's convenient, no appointment needed. You can even stay in your car while they do the work. You have to sit in some waiting room, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Their friendly, certified technicians have over 270 hours of training, and they get you in and out fast while performing a thorough, free 18-point maintenance check with your oil change. We got someone here who just experienced this, our own Aaron Blair. Blay, well, how was it? It was awesome. I took my Jeep uh, jock jams in and got a sweet oil change, and, uh, and I actually brought a book because I thought it would take a while. And uh, they had me in and out like 15 minutes. It was awesome. Well, also, you should point out, you can't read. I can't. So, <laughs> But I wanted people to <laughs> think I could. Yeah, but I mean, uh, come on. Yeah, maybe somebody hot is there. They're illiterate. like, oh, what are you reading? I'm like, oh, and then, then you know, now I've, I'm, I got a date. Yeah, yeah I don't but, think that's, uh, that's not how people meet each other. Didn't, didn't have time for that. Yeah, so if you see Blade driving around in his beautifully oiled jock jams, <laughs> give him the old thumbs up. <laughs> or throw a tangerine at him. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Valvoline, they're doing it right. Visit valvoline.com slash Conan for an exclusive offer towards your next oil change. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time, don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah, and we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors. We carry small stressors. Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up. And I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know. I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I? it's not a good match? I, then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Conan. I drew a lot. Before growing elementary school, high school, drawing and painting, before I ever wrote anything, and uh, when you draw something, you notice, if, realistically, if yes. you, I changed to abstract in my 20s, but mm -hmm. before that, it was real. Like, so you really notice stuff. Like, if you're going you're gonna to draw this yeah. glass in this bottle, the shape of the glass and the shape of the bottle, and, but the shape in between it is also a shape, yeah. and that helps you get it accurate, you know, yeah. to make it look real. And I think that exercised my maybe my noticing abilities like because it's just like all the comedy is from noticing you know in the in the in the tower in the airport you know the the, the tower they have with the with the uh sure. with the uh with the radar the radar, the radar. Yeah. yeah so the radar sweeps like this mm -hmm. and then there's little dots of the planes mm -hmm. so my subconscious was scanning was scanning. I'm not walking down the street. Need me? I, I need another joke. I need a new joke. Right. I'm just walking down the street, but the scan is going like this. And it's it because <clears throat> his mind is in that state. He's looking and looking and looking. And 
fascinates me. Especially when you get doing it enough where you, you're making a living, even if you're just barely paying the rent, you're making a living from the comedy. You know, $100 a week, that's three, you know, 300 400 pays the rent, and even less than that. Less. So yeah. you have time. You have time. You don't have to go somewhere and do this, this, this. So you're wandering around, you know, like a four-year-old. You just wandering. To me, the world is made up of like, oh, it's a giant mosaic painting. It's mm-hmm. little tiny fragments that make up everything. I've noticed things where I combine, oh, this could be connected. This thing that has nothing to do with this does have a common denominator, maybe in the in the word or something. And then you combine. I'm I'm not thinking when I make it yeah. up. I'm not going like I'm not doing what I just said to you. No, no, no. It's, say, happening. Oh, it's, it's happening. It's happening. It's like oh, that could mean that. And it's a bang, bang, bang. Yeah, it's really uh, cracks me up that my dad's a scientist and he said wow. once that um, <clears throat> he's not a good one. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's a shitty scientist. (laughs) We don't even think he has a degree. He just walks around with a a microscope that he found. A microscope that he found? Yeah, and he tied it, he wore it around his neck like Mr. T with a medallion. And he said, I'm a scientist. And then he'd just hang out at the train station. At the train station. Yeah, eat grilled cheese sandwiches. We were like, he's a scientist. But... No, but he said, like, the job of your brain, the thing that's happened in evolution that's supposed to keep us alive is our brain making connections that make sense. Like, huh, I've got a fire here and I've got meat here. When I cook the meat, it actually tastes a little better. I'm going to start doing that. And I think there's something with the comedians I really admire, like you, there's almost something, a, a miswiring that, that wouldn't work in evolution, but we're connecting things that shouldn't be connected and my dad once said to me, and you know, I met, said it before, but he looked at me once and he said, it's interesting because he's very honest and he's also very smart. And he said, you're making your living off of something that probably should be treated. <laughs> and I realized he's not wrong. That's hilarious. It's, it's taking, you yes. know, you can have breakfast anytime or, you know, the electrolysis joke. You're taking things and putting them together and they live on completely different synapses that aren't supposed to cross. They're not supposed to be touching each other. Yes. But something's either wrong or right in a beautiful way, and that's what happens. Somehow you see a connection. You know, I remember it was talked about a lot at the time, but you went on Johnny Carson in 1982. I believe it was your first spot. Very few comics get to go on. It's almost impossible. And if you do get on, it's a big deal. And you went on, if I'm remembering it correctly... Johnny was so impressed. You were so different and so smart that they invited you back very quickly. Is that true? Yes, I went on Friday and then the next Thursday. Which hadn't, I mean, that didn't happen. It was insane. When they called me on Wednesday, Jim McCauley, he started talking about the show, and I thought he was referring to the one that happened. I didn't understand what he meant. He said, no, no, we want you to go on tomorrow. Did you have another set? I, I had I had another set, but I, I had like a total of 15 minutes of stuff that could go on there. And I remember saying to him, but if I go on there tomorrow, that's three years. Half the, more than half the stuff is gone. And he simply said, well, you're going to have to write new stuff anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and he, to go on twice in one week. It's so amazing. It, had, it was unprecedented at the time and seismic. And that was a time when if you went on that show, you were famous overnight. I mean, yeah. people knew, people recognized you the next day because that was all anybody was doing at 1130 at night was watching Johnny Carson. Yeah, because it was three channels and, yeah. and cable was just starting. Right. It was like going through the Alice in Wonderland, the, going through the door yeah. there. You know, and Peter LaSalle, you know this. You yeah. saw me in the Dingho Chinese restaurant in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. He, he was the producer of The Tonight Show. And then two weeks later, I was on there. I've, I had, We were talking outside in the driveway. Do you remember when we were in the driveway? Yeah, it was about 15 minutes ago. <laughs> um, I'm still capable of remembering things. But yes. There wasn't a judgment on you. It was just simply, uh, I'm very accurate. <laughs> I don't even know what I was saying. Uh, we were talking about, you were at the Ding Ho. Uh, oh, flukes, flukes. Mm-hmm. Different accidents. Mm-hmm. Contrib- accidents. Little con- things that contribute. happen to change the course yes, of con- your life. Contribute, yeah. contribute. 
You know, someone wrote an article about that Chinese restaurant and went in the LA Times. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. Then he saw it. Then eight months later, he was going to, in the summer to go to Massachusetts and New York because his kids were going to go to college. So they went on a college summer trip and he remembered the article. So he calls up and, you know, this is a lot of flukes. Yeah. I'm very fortunate. It's clear that impressionism and, or abstract, I'll use the word abstract, abstraction is really important to you. And there must have been a time in your life when you were a kid or something where you were saw abstract art or you read abstract writing and it rang a giant bell in your head. It, it wasn't the writing. It was Salvador Dali come by surrealism. I went, when I had a uh, art class, 11th grade in Burlington, Mass, we went into Boston to mm -hmm. one of the main museums and that's where I first saw surrealism. I never even heard of surrealism. And two of the paintings I remember, there was a painting of a of a clothespin in the in the middle of the field, and it was the size of a silo, mm -hmm. but it didn't look cartoonish. It didn't right. look ridiculous. It was like, oh my god! And then there was another painting of a road coming down like this, and then when it went down like that, it turned into a waterfall. And I mean, I was sixteen. I'm telling you, these paintings. Yeah. I was jolted by the combining of these two realities. And a lot of the writing we were just talking about, the mosaic thing is like, oh, this, you know, this is not a close pin, you know, that jolted me yeah, yeah. more than uh, what I read influencing. But your head is like a soup. Everyone's head is a soup, don't you think? It's ingredients, you know, Kurt yeah. Vonnegut, surrealism, Monty Python, there's comedians all over the Tonight Show and, and, you know, listening to albums and it all goes into Woody Allen. To me, he's still the best. He's yeah. the top guy. His, his writing and all that goes into your head. I was a big Bruins fan during the Bobby Orr days. You had to be, by the yeah. way, because I, I, was, I was growing up. I was in grade school then. I was in second, third grade. And all anybody talked about back then was Bobby Orr. And, um, and, and Phil Esposito and, yes. you know, all and everybody because, you know, Bobby Orr was the biggest thing in the world. And in Boston, we just couldn't believe that we had this phenomenal, phenomenal player who was changing the game. Yeah, it was incredible. That time was incredible. And I would listen to the games in, in my bed and I had a radio in the bed. And one night I was fooling with the dial and I stumbled on this show where a guy played two comedy albums every Sunday night. Mm -hmm. So I started tuning in. He played cut from one, cut from the other, and I'm laying in bed in the dark, and I'm listening for like two years I'm doing this. And it was I didn't know it, but I was like going to uh, school, comedy school, because I'd be thinking, oh, I like that guy. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. But anyway, it goes back to the soup. Don't you think all your head is like made up of all these different random and some times on purpose ingredients yeah i i think that's that works I, I don't you know i prefer a stew a stew yeah it's a little it's heartier mine is a st i think yours is a very light broth <laughs> but <laughs> you're, mine you're, critic you're criticizing me during my analogy yeah, yeah, Say, yeah, saying exactly. that your head yours, I is, to, be yours I is better i, I want to win i want to win <laughs> I want to win. Come on. It's a light. You Listen, I'm not putting down a light broth. I'm not putting down a light no. broth. No, it's I a, never thought you know I heard you say that. It's a, cons it's a consomme. No, your brain is a consomme and you taste it and you're like, this is great. I've been a little sick and this is really helping. Now, I'm like, if you've been out in the woods felling trees, you don't want the Stephen Wright consomme. You're a between meal palate cleanser. Which, and, and again, no put down. No put down. But I'm in a big crock pot. Yes. Like and lumber. just huge chunks of really good sirloin and potato. And there's, wow. there's some Guinness in there that really thickens the, the, you the broth. Keep, you keep going nine more minutes on that. Yeah. Do we have time? <laughs> Steve, why don't you go get a sandwich? Go get a sandwich. I, I come so back there's carrots. There's peas. <laughs> there's some yam. Um, oh, my God. There's, a there's all kinds of thickeners in the broth, you know? Oh, God, it's.
thick. It's a really thick broth. You put the wooden spoon in there and it stands up on its own. And, and, and what if you put a spoon in my way? Oh, if you put it in yours, it just immediately flips over and falls on the ground. And you have to put it in fast because yours evaporates quickly. <laughs> the longer he goes, yeah. the worse. Mine's nothing. Yours goes diminished high, and mine high, keeps getting better. As time goes yeah. on. No, I mean, critics around the world want to... Taste my and yours they'd taste it if it was if it would stick around long enough. It's just a vapor oh before they can God. get to it. But no, I agree with you. I agree with oh, you. But that I agree with you. There's all this. <laughs> as long as we've established that mine's the better yes. food, um, richer, more life sustaining. Uh, yes, making you know that's the beauty of. I mean, imagine. I feel very fortunate to have a career from making things up it's yeah. unbelievable yeah do you ever feel like that oh i i feel that way 24 hours a day i mean i earlier in my life when i would think all of these strange things and i love to cartoon and draw oh, i, didn't I was not a, a I, I couldn't draw that's fine answer your phone um <laughs> no I'm, I'm i'm clearly you, i'm a you, priority you would think i was shutting it off but i want to see what this no i shut <laughs> I, I shut it off. I love it if you took the call and it was a spam call. It's a spam call. Well, when, I'm what's, in, with the guy. what's involved? Well, well, I don't know. I don't need blind. <laughs> Hold on. Well, wait a minute. Tell me more. And I'm going on and on about the stew still. Um, no, radishes. You're, you're, no, you're in it. You're sleeping. You're sleeping. No, but what I'm saying is I'm constantly, uh, any anyone who's in this business and, and isn't, uh, realize that it is a complete crazy privilege to get to get any money or rent or mortgage payment in this world. I think, I mean, Sona, you have a really good perspective on it yes. because you came at this from this crazy angle mm -hmm. and now it's just, well, I got to go in and talk to Stephen Wright. I know. And it's, I can't believe it. Like I, I, I would pay to do this. I can't believe well, I get I'm glad you said that. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you should pay. <laughs> okay, I forget just, I said it. Yeah, no. No, no, no. Thousand no, dollars a right. day. No. But, <laughs> oh, come on. You know, I'm curious. Like, I know I'm very grateful. I also think there's something about, maybe I'd feel differently if I had grown up in Los Angeles or grown up around this, but it's very hard for me to explain to people how Massachusetts, and especially the era that we grew up in, 60s, 70s, coming of age in that time, there was, show business was further removed, not just Massachusetts, but Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, that area, the last thing in the world you ever thought could happen was that you could be in show business. I Absolutely. saw no evidence that show business existed. Absolutely. I didn't see famous people. I didn't know anybody who was related. You know, my dad's a fake scientist at the bus station. <laughs> Like you never thought that you would get any chance. Uh, and I think it's a different world now. People, people think about things differently and Boston looks so different now. I mean, the look at movies from the sixties and seventies that depict Boston. Look at the verdict, friends of Eddie Coyle. Look at these movies that show Boston in the seven. It's so gray and it's so unappealing in so many ways and kind of depressed. And, so real. And so no, real no, and no kind of gritty. Yeah, no it. slickness at all. And then I remembered leaving, coming to LA, getting involved in other stuff in my career, and then coming back to Boston in the late 80s. And suddenly there's like pan quotidiennes everywhere and people were saying, would you like a crepe? And I was like, this is not the Boston I grew up in. You can go back and look at those movies. And I go like, that's the Boston yeah, I remember. That's it. That's Cars it. that are rusted out. Yeah, everyone's wearing a gray jacket. Policemen are all really heavy. Their belts <laughs> are like around their nipples, and they're directing traffic. But I don't think they've ever shot a gun in their life. Nobody's, you know, people people aren't that nice. It's cold. The snow all turns sooty right away. Right away. Somehow that all changed. It's all. It's a, like a whole different vibe. Yeah, and I think that realness that you just described makes us appreciate what do you mean you you're gonna go do this show and that's how you're gonna pay the rent what do you mean because all you see is people doing that's real like you know jobs that's why i appreciate it all the time 
It's like a, it's playing. Don't you think yeah. this is playing? Oh, it's, it's, it's totally playing. It's like being five or ten and you're finger painting, but with words. Yeah. Like, oh, imagine this. Oh, imagine this. You know, you're right, in the cafeteria right. saying to your friend, oh, 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 oh. Right. And then that's, this becomes your career. Now, what do you prefer? Obviously, you're very comfortable on a stage. You're great on a stage. Do you like being up in front of people or do you prefer the part where you're crafting it? Uh, uh, it's two different things: writing the material and then performing the material. I, I, the the right the performance is very intense to me, mm-hmm. even still now. I mean, I'm not nervous, but it's like walking a tightrope. The way ice, it's like you were running across a lake of thin ice, and you're trying to get to the other side without falling through right. during the length of the show. Right, that's very in, intense. I would say that the the writing is more of a it's enjoyable. It has no intensity. You just mind in your own business and then something happens. Yeah. How do you feel about being in front of the audience? I, I can't imagine on television night after night after night. How? It was, How? It was so funny because <laughs> there's a, one of the great comedy writers of all time, George Meyer, worked at The Simpsons when I was there. And he's you know legendary, uh, brilliant guy. And he had worked on the early Letterman show. And I was being considered as possibly being one of the people who might replace Letterman. And my name is starting to show up in the trades. And, you know, my fr- I'm working at The Simpsons and my friends are like, this is crazy. This is insane. <laughs> and I went, I, I know, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's crazy. And they're like, man, you, but, but you're a funny guy. This could be a funny show. I think you could do it. And they're all saying, no, no, I think you could do it. I remember George Meyer, I went out in the parking lot and George Meyer was walking with me. I was like, oh man. I wouldn't do it if I were you. <laughs> oh, no. And I said, really? And this didn't come from anything, but he was just being honest. And he went, I worked on one of those shows every day. Feed the dragon. Feed the dragon every day. And he was like, don't do it. It'll ruin your life. Wow. And you know what? Wow. He wasn't wrong, but I'm also, it was the best thing I ever did. And and what I found was this magical thing. I realized very early on doing an hour a day, I remember the worst thing about this job is that you have to do it every day for yeah. an hour. The best thing about this job is that you get to do it every day for an hour because when you crank up the volume like that, uh, over time, think, what the hell? What the fuck? Let's give it a shot. Masturbating bear, let's give it a shot. You know, a dog puppet that insults people and says, you suck. Um, I want to poop on you. Let's try it. I don't know how you did it. Well, I don't know how you did it that, that over and over and over and over. Uh, well, my, as I said to somebody once, they said, Jesus, you know, 4,300 something shows. How did, what's the, what's, how did you do it? And I said, the trick is some of them aren't very good. <laughs> it's just kind of true. Like, yeah. There are, you, you look at some and you go, oh, I see how he did it. That wasn't so good, but we always tried. But enough about me, a little about you, and then more about me. Okay. <laughs> so usually when I hear I'm going to talk to somebody and they've written a book, I get this feeling of apprehension, which is, oh, man, I got to read the book. They booked you, and I'm very excited. And then I hear um, Stephen wrote a novel. I'm immediately very intrigued. So I get sent this copy of Harold, which is this novel you wrote, and it's beautiful. It's really funny and touching. It's beautifully written. I think only you could write this. And I I love it. I just I really do. And it was such a nice thing for me to read the book and then know I get to go and drive in and talk to Tell Stephen, you got here a little early and I heard you were hanging out outside like a creep. But I, I was so excited. I, want, I had the book and I oh. wanted to go down and tell you, I need to tell you how much I like your book. I really appreciate it. And that. it's funny because you mentioned Vonnegut and I'm like, I can feel like there's a, there's different strains. Like you say, there's a soup, but there's, I can see like Joseph Heller and Vonnegut. There's a, but it's very sweet and also at times sad. And there's such funny stuff in here. And it's all from the mind of an eight-year-old, seven or eight? Seven. Yeah. I didn't read it that thoroughly. Um, <laughs> I just skimmed to get his, skims. I just skimmed to get his age. Skims. I'm very good at it. I'm pretty, you know, 
That's the one thing I will read is the age. No, but I was... <laughs> I think eight would have been the better choice, but that's my stew brain versus your consomme brain. No, my broth brain. But you know, first of all, one of the first things that, that struck me because I'm so obsessed with myself is I read this, I read this thing at the front by the uh, the editor of the book from Simon & Schuster, who's clearly a big deal editor, and he's talking about how he stumbled upon you doing a set on my show, an interview on my show. Oh, yes. And he talks yes, about how, yes. this is why it all comes together. He talks about how he's always been a fan of yours. And then he said, uh, he says here at the top of the book, starting to think about, you know, what could I do with Stephen Wright? And then he said, I had only started my job I guess it's Simon & Schuster, and I was spending a lot of time searching the internet, trying to come up with book ideas. I can't remember what weird YouTube algorithm led me to it, but I came across a clip of Stephen Wright on Conan O'Brien's late night show back in 2013, when he talked about writing a novel on Twitter, posting one sentence at a time. How long is the novel by now, Conan asked. 1,500 pages, Wright said. 1,500 pages, Conan said. And then you say, if there's one word on each page. (laughs) (laughs) And then I guess he thought, I got to check this out. So he went on Twitter and you really were doing that. And then he starts talking to you and you guys form a friendship and you do this book. So I was just thrilled that- uh, That's amazing, the connection. Yeah, yeah. It's tremendous. Yeah, you would also think there might be a little financial sharing in here. But we'll talk about that later. You'll hear- No, I I love that. I love that he saw that But I love the serendipity of you do this joke- this guy sees that, then you start talking, then uh, this book comes along. And this book is really special because it's a, a boy and he's growing up in, you say the mid sixties, he's in a classroom and he's daydreaming and thinking, you know, throughout the class. And his mind is taking him all around the universe. He talks about hanging out with his grandfather and in there are great, I don't want to call them jokes, but really good, profound observations. And they're all very much the way a kid would think. And you have this idea about what if people were like trees and that they just kept getting taller as they got older. And I'd be walking down the street as an eight year old, seven year old boy, and I'd see a, an 80 year old woman and she's 45 feet tall. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you have this conversation with her and I'm it just tickled. And then there's so many sweet things that happen in it. And it's very... It's almost also has some sort of a James Joyce quality because it's all happening very constrained period of time, but also the time is infinite because if you're daydreaming, a billion things can happen in 45 minutes. Yeah, he's in the class and he's thinking, he's daydreaming, he's thinking about dreams he's had, he's thinking about experiences that he really, he's thinking of memories and it all is in one day and in uh in the class, I, 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 it's great that you you like it so much. I love it. How much of it is you, or do you not want to oh, say? A lot, a lot of it. A lot of a lot of it. I think you can't write anything be completely made up. You know, all my see the thing is when I, I wrote, was writing it on Twitter, I wrote like a half a page on there. Then I stopped, and then I didn't write it for like a year. And then I thought that thing I should keep writing it and just keep going. But I didn't put it on Twitter, so I just kept going. And, you know, the jokes I do are like, creatively, it's like going through a narrow window, mm-hmm. a couple sentences, two, three sentences, and hopefully the audience laughs, you know, okay, and I'm not complaining, I'm just describing it, but I had a lot of things in my mind that w- wouldn't go through that window, to, to just be yeah. a two-couple-liner yeah. joke. So I essentially used Harold's head, it's like I put a funnel on his head. And I poured into that funnel everything I think about being alive. You know, religion and war and authority and the universe and is there a God? And, you know, that's all the way through That's repeated all the way through the book. (laughs) (laughs) Is God willing if there's a God? You know, I hope God, if there's a God. So you're constantly questioning that throughout. When I first started writing it, I realized there was no story. And then I thought, I can't keep this there's no story and I thought I I don't know how. so I stopped for a year I thought I don't know how to write a story I don't know how yeah. and I thought a year later I thought so what just I want to just write it anyway right so, so right. it's not like this happened and then this happened and then he did and then because of that yeah. so I just 
accepted that I didn't know how to write a story. So I just, that's just went. Like, well, the other thing I love is Harold's voice, very much like your voice, but imagine you as a kid, but <laughs> there's a great thing where his teacher is prominent because she's running the class the whole time. Harold is thinking all these incredible things and having these journeys in his mind. And every now and at one point she, uh, he remembers a time that she came up and looked at what he was drawing and what Harold was drawing and said, that's really beautifully done. You did a really good job here, Harold. And he said, how dare you judge me? Because <laughs> <laughs> even flattery yeah, is a judgment. It's a judgment. It's a yes, judgment. It, it, and um, it's just packed with those things. So uh, I hope you write more, but if all you wrote was this, that is plenty because it is fantastic. It's really good. Thank you so much. And I, you're such a, great, inspirational, and fascinating person to talk to and laugh with that I hope you come back. I like you're one to, of those, I would love to. You're one of those would, people who needs to come back. I would love it. And I'll have more, we can have more competing analogies. More you know? soup analogies. Broth. Or we can maybe change it to, no, I would you know, love our it, brains are like, I, you know, crackers. And yours is a very, <laughs> a dry Dutch cracker that's got a high seed count. It's very good for your... Your bowels, and I'm, but I'm like this rich, savory, buttery cracker. I noticed that all yours are always. Oh, they're good. <laughs> better, mine, better than mine. I'm, oh yeah, I see a pattern. Yeah, there's a I pattern see, here. Yes, it, yeah, but yeah, I think you are one of the fastest, incredible comedy minds ever. Mm. That's what I would say to people. What is it like going on there? I said, hey, you know what? I say something. I think, hope it's funny. If, but if it's not, it doesn't matter because you are like a laser it's well, incredible well, really coming incredible. from you that's huge so i get yes to, i mean that it's I get unbelievable to feel good about myself for an hour <laughs> <laughs> no coming there's no higher uh no higher praise i could get yeah, than a compliment from you so seriously um we all owe you i mean we all but you changed everything for so many of us lucky that you came along we really are and i was you say it's a, a quirk it's an accident but you also, um, and, and I do think, I give it up for quirks and accidents, but there's also uh, integrity and hard work and being a good person. And those things aren't quirks. So that makes it all wonderful. So thank you. Thank you very much. Let's, thank never, you. let's never speak again. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, yes, Stephen thanks Wright. Thanks for having me. I just had a fascinating experience. Uh, I was on a work trip and I was in a country I'd never been to before, Thailand. Mm. I was in Bangkok and uh, doing some work there. More on that later, um, but it was fascinating. And uh, I sent you a little message, Mr. Gourley. Yeah. Um, I know you're a Bond fan. Mm -hmm. And at one point I met the floating market mm. uh, in, uh, in Bangkok where you can get on a boat and go from market to market and buy your wares, your souvenirs, and then go on to the next markets. It's really That's a cool. famous venue. I had forgotten this, but someone, it might've been Aaron Blair, was with me because we always travel together as lovers. <laughs> and- um, That's true. Yeah. And so I don't have to pay you also. That's also it's, right. It's a, just a relationship. <laughs> yes. So- um, I'll have relationships with people just so I don't have to pay them. No, no money exchanged hands, but a lot of other stuff exchanged. Okay, all right. You do, all right. You do pay him. Yes, she be my lover. Oh, um, oh, oh. No one's going to voluntarily <laughs> lay with this old bag of bones. Yes. <laughs> so on. anyway, this took a, I don't why know what- Why did you do that? No, why did I do it? He's yeah. the one that said yes. Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, now we're really- So here's the point, Yeah. which is Blay mentioned, oh, this would make Gourley jealous. And before he even said anything else, I was elated. Because <laughs> I, I didn't know what Blay was talking about, but I was immediately happy that there was a way that you could be unhappy. And he said, this is where they shot the Bond, a famous sequence in the uh, James Bond film, Man with the Golden Gun. And then I remembered, oh, right, Roger Moore is driving through the market and he's being chased. And I immediately remembered that. So I made a video. And it must have been like three in the, or four in the morning here in Los Angeles. Uh, it was midday Bangkok, and I sent it to you. Mm. And um, I hope you took that video in the spirit in which it was meant. <laughs> well, first, let me clear something up. I'm not really a James Bond fan. Oh. Oh. James Bond. 
Oh my God, you're wearing a shirt that says James Bond will return. <laughs> and second of all, <laughs> did you know we were talking no, about this today? No, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't know we were no, talking about this today? No, you, you have no, no, a lot of James Bond Wait a minute, clothes. you're just wearing a James Bond shirt underneath your sweatshirt and you happen to be wearing that when we brought this up. That's true. That's sick. You're a sick person. <laughs> You're a sick person. Do you feel better or worse about doing this now? I just feel like you need a pity. Just, you shouldn't have a family. I think. <laughs> oh my god! I just god. think your family should be. I think Tell social me. services should come by and take both your child and your wife away, <laughs> which they rarely do. They usually just take the child. But at this point, I think they should take both away. Yeah. Um, all right. So you're. I didn't. Wow. That blows my mind that you. That's right. You didn't know what I was going to talk about. I mean, about. I, I'm not even going to justify it. Never mind. So I sent you a video. Yeah. And what, yeah. how did you feel when you got the video? Well, do you want to listen to it? Yeah. Let's play it here. I have it. <sighs> hey, Matt. Conan here. Uh, I am here at the floating market in Bangkok. This is where they shot that iconic uh, scenes in uh, Man with the Golden Gun. And I know that this is on your bucket list. I just wanted you to know I got here first. Now, the biggest issue I take... Psych! Do you understand the meaning of the word psych? So were you or were you not there? Oh, you mean like... <laughs> you blew it. I blew it. Oh. So you mean psych should have meant, I fooled you, I'm not really there. Yeah, like you're at like not... Venice, California. Well, guess yeah. what? No, it does still make sense because I don't think I was at the exact, lo I think the exact location was about 100 yards no, away. No. This is a very infamous scene in Bond history because Roger Moore is in a little boat chase and a little Thai boy comes up to sell him something and he face palms him and shoves him in the water. What an asshole. I know, yeah. And this is Roger Moore's- Roger Moore, who's yeah. typically the kind of friendly Bond. Yeah. Right. He's yeah. the Bond that used hairspray. And a lot of it, yeah. A lot of it, yeah. 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 Uh, so, yes, that's. I remember that scene, him shoving a little boy into the water. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I just wanted you to know that I got there first. You know what's worse? I've been to Thailand, and I didn't even get to see that. Really? Yeah. Well, did you know that? Yeah, I just was tired. <laughs> How tired hot. do you? It was so how hot. tired do you have to be to not go to a bond locale? You know what? The only thing that beats me is heat. I will if it's hot out and like humid. I don't want to go do it. It was record setting heat when I was there, oh. and I could tell because the Thai people. I'd be walking down the street, and the Thai people were walking up to me, going, "Jesus, it's hot! <laughs> <laughs> this is freaking hot!" And I said, "Like, so you're? I'm a native. Yes, I've lived here my entire life. Good God!" And uh, yeah, did I, you go to the PP Islands? No, I know that sounds like a setup to a joke, but it's that's well, a setup for a joke you would do. But yeah. uh, how about Poopy Flats? Nope, didn't go there either. <laughs> okay. That's where the the beautiful like islands stick out of the water, and that's from the end of that movie where ah, the villain's not, layer is. I with. did not go uh, down to the islands. No, did not go there. Uh, shot almost exclusively in and around uh, Bangkok, which is fascinating. It's a fascinating place. Loved it. Food was extraordinary. People are lovely, and we shot some stuff there that I think people are going to really mm. like. Happy about that. But I um, mostly I've been battling. I think I got back two days ago. I had no problem with the flight from LA, flew from LA to Hong Kong and then to Thailand. No jet lag, nothing. Just got right to work. Landed in the morning, got right to work. And we were there for about nine days. Then came back Hong Kong to LA and my heart hasn't functioned properly. I have just been, I, my body's completely screwed up, mm -hmm. completely screwed up, and my mind doesn't work, and I think I'm capable of any well, crime right I now. I think that's because when you get to Thailand, you're like, oh, it's time to shoot, and then it's like your adrenaline. Because yeah. you've running. seen me in action. I've seen you. It's not like you're going to be like, I need a nap first. You're like, let's get the camera, let's go. But when you come back here, what you don't shoot right. anything. There's just a wife and a son. <laughs> oh, And you're like, what's this all about? Who should have their family taken away from them? <laughs> <laughs> they've called they've yeah. called social services they're constantly calling social services I don't I don't think it has anything to do with the time change I or the flight right. I think it has to do with the camera pointed at your face yeah, yeah. it is true I was doing all this stuff that I can only do when a camera's pointed at me yeah. I was yeah. doing all these stunts and things that and people were saying hey you're kind of old you shouldn't be like I'm fine roll that camera <laughs> we just shot him in the chest and he seems fine yeah shoot me again so we get it from the other angle <laughs> oh Set me up to use the word psych. Yeah. <laughs> Teach me how to use that word. 
I, I will say we we did uh, and we put a picture out on social media of you kickboxing mm-hmm. and I, Muay, I, uh, it's Muay Thai Muay Thai Muay Thai kickboxing and I should mention that although it was covered it was completely outside yes and every day we would look at the temperature and it would say 94 feels like 108 yeah. and oh, I'm, I'm not exaggerating God. that's what it said and so the, with this the humidity day, that's yeah. wet because of the humidity it's 108 <laughs> and it's a it's a and wet we did a shoot and i was just trying to get out of the way and was out of breath and sweating through my clothes you were literally jumping and kicking yeah. it was insane yeah and i um i'm fueled by uh, a terrible hole in the middle of my soul that uh, yeah. just powers me on. I know. Um, but uh, no, I did. We That was really fun. Uh, we, we did all this stuff that I really enjoyed, but uh, it was, I mean, a highlight was getting to a bond site before you. Um, and now I'm determined to go and visit all the bond sites I can it's, without it's you. It's on. Without it's a race. I no, mean, no, no. You got a lot to catch up on. I've been to a lot of them. First of all, I'm going to hire a cinematographer to study those scenes and prove to you that, that you weren't in the exact right place. Oh. I'm going to spend a great deal of money. And then I am going to go to all the exact correct places and I'll get the permission of the Roger Moore estate to uh, examine all the documents necessary. Remember he died on my birthday? Yeah. No, I don't remember that. I remember. Yeah. I don't. I. <laughs> you leave my mind the minute I leave the studio. <laughs> I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. <laughs> Remember, he died on my Well, birthday. I only say that not because I expect you to remember that, but because when I said that before, you hit me so hard, you really hit me over the head with that fact. Mm. Yeah. So I thought maybe it did make an impression. No. But, no okay, great. No. I think right. the way for him to be nice to you is if you just came with a handheld I think, camera. Oh, Matt, yeah. I think if you donated, uh, if you were proven to be an exact perfect match for my bone marrow and you saved my life by going through an excruciating procedure, I would quickly forget about it. Oh, I, I would also never do that. <laughs> no, 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 you understand. I would hire people to hold you down and we would extract the bone marrow using simple gardening tools. Uh, I, I would then- <laughs> There's nothing you can do about Drink it. a lot of Drano that would then <laughs> osmosize into my Drano, bone marrow. Drano, as bad as it is for your body, really does enhance bone marrow production. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, okay, well, so, you've um, got me there, you evil genius. <laughs> I say petting a cat. Um, all right. Well, if you want to see a bond site, write in, write in, <laughs> write in, and uh, Gorley will tell you if he's been there or not. Mm, psych, psych. Conan O'Brien needs a friend. With Conan O'Brien, Sonam Obsessian, and Matt Gorley. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs, Nick Liao, and Jeff Ross at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson and Cody Fisher at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Take it away, Jimmy. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. Engineering by Eduardo Perez. Additional production support by Mars Melnick. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review read on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded.